not a journalist, is an absolute idiot. But that's okay. No, I'd die back. I'd like to be able to tie someday. I'll get tired. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Six Overtimes podcast, where we talk nothing of realignment and everything about Big East Hoops. I'm Chaz Wagner. Joining me, a little south of Brooklyn, is Scott Wildermuth. What's up, man? Not too much, Chaz. How you doing? I'm doing well. So today, Tuesday, November 22nd, we are going to recap Monday night games. We also want to give you our first ever, first ever, first ever power rankings coming to you from the Six Overtimes podcast team. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's it's been calculated. It's been, you know, all these hypotheses have been proven. We've put them to the test, and we're, we're ready to release it and test it on the market. Yeah, I'm ready to prognosticate, baby. That's right. So there were four games last night. There were Two that were good games, meaning they were playing a, a good opponent, uh, and then two that were so-so. And the two that we're speaking of that we saw as more of a quality opponent, we had Georgetown playing out in the Maui Invitational last night at midnight, and they had a tough loss to the Kansas Jayhawks. Then we had Notre Dame getting smoked by the Missouri Tigers, who are a ranked team. I believe they're number 21 now. They lost in the CB Classic, and then we had we had Cincinnati recovering from their loss to uh, the Presbyterian Blue Host. They they beat they down Northwestern State, and then we're going to talk about Marquette uh, closing out the Paradise Jam against against uh, Norfolk State. Yeah, and if you can tell, uh, if we're a little tired, it's because of this Georgetown tip at midnight last uh, night. Why did? Why couldn't they? They were the fourth game of the <laughs> of four in the quarterfinals. Why couldn't they be one of the uh, one of the first few for us, Scott? Yeah, but you know what? It was worth staying up because this Kansas team is real good, and Georgetown competed all the way through. Uh, they lost sixty-seven, sixty-three. It was up and down. It was a uh, beat each other up kind of game. And I was pretty impressed with what Georgetown put out. Um, what did you think? I was. Uh, Kansas is supremely athletic. They got, uh, most notably, they have Tyshawn Taylor, who uh, who we, we've known over the years. And then they have uh, Thomas Robinson, who's a total boss. And I believe, I don't know if he got to six dunks, but he had five dunks. I remember Sean McDonough said that he had five dunks with six minutes left. And I just love, first of all, Scott, I love that announcing crew of Sean McDonough, Jay Billis, and Bill Raftery. That, those guys those guys do it well. Yeah, they're awesome. I mean, they, they have really high energy level, and then Billis is real smart when it comes to everything college basketball. Um, Thomas Robinson might be the best big man in the country, um, for, Ooh, or at least wow. for what I've seen so far. He was very impressive last night with 20 points and 12 boards. And, you know, it's t it's tough for Georgetown to really uh, stop a really athletic big man with a guy like Henry Sims, who looked just a little bit too slow to really compete with uh, Robinson last night. That is a bold, bold claim, Scott. You're going to put him up against Jared Sullinger and Terrence Jones and some of these. He was very impressive bosses. last night. 
He was good. Uh, I don't know if it was he's just that good as you're speaking of or Georgetown's big men, Henry Sims and Nate. What the heck's his name? Nate Ludwig. Yeah. If, if those guys are just very, I'm sorry, Nate Lubbock. If those are just mediocre big men that he's he's really bossing around. Yeah. Well, Lubbock looked uh, mediocre. Would be kind to say that yeah. about Lubbock last night. He sort of just wandered around the perimeter and really didn't do too much. Um, the the guys from Georgetown that looked pretty impressive to me was Jason Clark. He got to the he got to the basket a lot. Uh, especially in those sort of transition type of uh, possessions where Kansas left the middle op- open a little bit. And he got to the rim, and so did Markel Starks a couple of times. Um, you know, Starks didn't have a huge game, but he got a couple easy buckets. So Yeah, and Billis actually noted uh, Markel Starks, his play. He really he w- he was uh, complimenting him on how well he got to the hole, and, and I— I tended to agree with that. Uh, other guys for uh, for Georgetown, you know, Hollis Thompson did have a nice game. He had 14 points. Um, you know, he was able to keep up that athletic. You know, he really has great athleticism and some length, and he's a slasher. And you know, like I think Lubbock and and Sims, especially in the front court, they couldn't keep up with Robinson's. Athleticism, but I thought Georgetown's backcourt of Clark and Thompson could match. Um, uh, who's the other guard? Elijah, I believe it was what Elijah Johnson. Yeah, a lot. They they yeah, they could so. keep up with Elijah Johnson and Tyshawn Taylor. But the one thing about Hollis Thompson, he's he was at fourteen points, and he didn't score for the last sixteen or seventeen minutes of the game. You would have liked to see not only Clark finishing strong but if if georgetown was going to win this game they needed hollis to uh you know at least be a presence yeah and that's probably one of the big reasons why they didn't pull it out is because thompson sort of disappeared at the end but some a guy that didn't disappear was came off the bench and this guy was otto porter who just drained 12 points he had two three-point shots uh one to end the first half to close the gap to two points i believe and, you know, I think he was a big reason why uh, the Hoyas stayed competitive all all throughout the game. Yeah, the two freshmen coming off the bench, you speak of Otto Porter and then Greg Whittington. He didn't have great a great stat line, but he logged 22 minutes. So JT3 has thrown him, uh, he's thrown this freshman right in, getting great experience um, in a holiday tournament like this playing against a, a top 20 ball club in in Kansas so I think I think that's going to do a lot of good for their maturity and and growth throughout the year and you know I looked at the reading the game notes and there were only 20 there were less than 2500 people at this game but with Kansas fans you know in that gym the 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 setup of the gym it's right on top of you like the the bleachers yeah. and everything it felt, you know, with with Rock Chalk Jayhawk going, it felt like there were two or three times the the amount of people in there. Yeah, it was raucous. <laughs> raucous. Yeah. Um, but the the big takeaways from this is that Georgetown played with a very good Kansas team, mm-hmm. and we should be, you know, I always say that there aren't any moral victories, but this is a decent loss for these guys. I, th- I think they'll go in the right direction. And uh, we like to see this early on when they can 
play a big time opponent and get sort of a litmus test under their belt and I think they've passed. And a lot of these young teams or teams that weren't expected that much and they do hang around with better ball clubs or higher ranked, higher profile teams, a la St. John's hanging with Arizona last Thursday night. The key thing that we need to watch and, and not just us, but they need to watch is they're playing a lot of games consecutively. And while Georgetown plays Chaminade uh, today, we hope they don't have a let-up or their games afterwards where they get so up for – they know that they've been playing Kansas for six, seven months when the schedule was, was released that they lose a tough one and then they don't just kind of pack it in and, and their self – you know, their, their confidence is down going in these other games. Yeah, and it's sort of like what happened at Cincinnati uh, the other day when they lost to Presbyterian. So um, we we hope that they're not going to drop one of those, but I, I don't see that happening. I, I think Sims is too good and, and uh, Thompson as well. So Moving on, Scott, uh, while Georgetown, you could say a good loss or a respectable loss, Au contraire for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They went down to the Missouri Tigers, as we spoke of, in the CB Classic while this game was played in Kansas City, and it's basically a, a pro-Missouri crowd. They went down 87-58 to 58 to the Tigers, and you got a good look at this game, Scott. You, uh, you, There were some alarming things that came out in this game for the Irish. This game was really hard to watch for me being a uh, Big East fan. It was just, it wasn't close. It wasn't competitive. They lost by 39, and it probably wasn't even that close. About eight minutes into the game, Missouri and Notre Dame sort of settled into that big brother, little brother role where Missouri could do whatever they wanted, and Notre Dame sort of just let them do it. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and, and I looked at the some of our notes, and we say, oh, uh, Timmy Abermintis, his 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 return last night, his first game back after four game suspension, he had twenty two points. Oh, he must have played good, but apparently he was god awful on the defensive end. Just couldn't guard anyone, and he also had had a bunch of turnovers. So even though he put up the points, and and people were looking for that, his his complete game was was not there. Yeah, and that's sort of how they set the tempo early. The Tigers got the ball down to this guy, Ricardo Ratliff, who wasn't really the most skilled guy, but he got such good position deep underneath against Abramitis that he just was able to flip it in. And he had, I think, six points in the first three minutes against Abramitis, and it just took off from there. Um, Missouri then was able to spread the floor. Guards were able to slash and get to the basket with ease. And then in the second half, they started to make a bunch of three-pointers. It, it was just, it was it was tough to watch. Yeah. They were dom- The Irish were dominated on at every fa- yeah. every facet of the game. Yeah, I'm 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 worried, Scott. I'm I don't. You're you're more of a warrior than me, so you you got to be freaking out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just it was something that I saw when they played Detroit early on. It was they were they weren't as good of athletes as Detroit was, and that's exactly what happened against Missouri. Did 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 it happen to them? Yeah, they were out athleted. They were out athleted, and you don't want that to happen. Uh, Missouri shot 
bananas on on the Irish. They shot 58% from the field, 5 of 11 from 3, and 18 of 21 from the line. So really efficient shooting from them. I got the sense, Scott, that do you think that the other Irish players were thinking so much about Abramitis coming back and saying, oh, we're, we're, we're playing good without him. We're learning to, to uh, become more complete players. And once we get him back, we're just going to be, we're going to be set. And it's obviously not all the problems are solved just with the return of one player. And, and there was almost like a sense of um, maybe not complacency, but they, they just thought that everything would fall fall into place when when one uh one guy came back on the court yeah it was it was tough um it's tough to always just depend on one guy with especially with abramitis who is a good player he's got a lot of touch he's got a lot of offensive ability but at the end of the day he's not a guard and you know you win with strong guards and you know atkins and grant and martin the three of them really didn't play very well um, they looked like they were back to their old ways of just deferring to him, uh, to Abramitis rather. And, you know, as much as, as they can develop, they need to continue to uh, improve as the day goes on. And I didn't see any improvement. I actually, I think they took a step back a little bit here. Yeah, well, uh, we're going to show you in our power rankings what what happened, what one game can do. <laughs> And transitioning off of uh, a bad, bad loss, we have uh, Scott's Marquette Golden Eagles. My man. These guys just, we we made a mistake here at the Six Overtimes podcast. We thought Marquette had won the Paradise Jam Championship uh, being played in St. Thomas, one of the U.S. Virgin Islands. But no, we saw on the schedule that we thought there were only th- three games on Monday night. But uh, on the con- contrary... Marquette was going to go up against Norfolk State in the championship, and Marquette pulled out a squeaker, 59-57. to They were up throughout the game, and as we've seen with a lot of good teams, they lost some focus at the end of the game, and Norfolk State had a shot with no time on the clock, uh, a three-pointer that would have would have won the game for these uh, these scrappy Spartans. Yeah, and it was the second time that Marquette has played Norfolk State in the past week, so there might be a yeah. little bit of, you know, Norfolk State's a little bit familiar with Marquette, and and they could have figured something out that way, but. Yeah, it's it's tough to look at a two point win over a team like this in the Spartans and, and say, "Wow, um, I was disappointed that Marquette really uh, didn't take care of business in the second half. They were up by fourteen and let the lead collapse to uh, a tie game with two minutes left." Yeah, I think all these guys are itching to start playing quality opponents night in and night out and while we're not we haven't moved out of that just yet uh they're not going to be playing these the norfolk states and the winthrops and and all those teams that they've they've been accustomed to some takeaways from this vanderblue uh we've been hyping him up pretty pretty good and he was he laid a goose egg in the scoring column he did have five assists so he was he was dishing the ball out, but uh, to not have any points on the board was 
was uh wasn't too too good to see. Yeah, he needs to be a little bit more consistent. I feel like he's either got twenty points or he's got three points or something like that. He's gotta find that middle ground where he's pouring in eight to twelve every night. I think we might uh after we do power rankings, another ranking might be our an enigma rankings and i i I think nuradine Lindsay is number one and vanderloo might not be uh too far down the list i agree with you anything else from this game that uh that worth mentioning scott yeah um djo he was named the mvp of the tournament so that's great for him he had 20 points in the championship game and he said this quote that i just it's such a senior quote it's such a good I, i just love hearing that and and um if if you're his teammate, I think you love hearing it too. And, and what he said was, the MVP award is nice, but I'm nothing without my team. The guys made, around me made this happen. And that, Just a precious quote. Oh, yeah. My heart's melting over here. But it's, it's, it's such a good thing to hear uh, from your senior leader who's supposed to lead your team to uh, a deep run in the tournament this year. Yeah, you, you said if he, you're a teammate, you got to love it. You're a fan, so you got to be... You gotta be loving it. I'm thrilled. Thrilled. Ecstatic. All right, Scott. So the last night, or the last game of Monday night was Cincinnati Bearcats took down Northwestern State 71 to 43. They bounced back from, um, what was, wait, did they play in between? Was this their first game back since Presbyterian? It was. Yeah, so they bounced back. Mick Cronin probably, they probably heard an earful. From Cronin and and uh, the, the alumni and uh, you know they they probably got uh, not good things from losing to Presbyterian. They closed them out. Yancey Gates had eighteen and thirteen. They sh- they shot uh, well from the field, shooting over fifty percent. Um, let's see. It's kind of Yancey Gates and Sean Kilpatrick show as we're seeing those are the two scores and the other guys here and there will will throw in some buckets. Yeah, and uh don't forget Dion Dixon who got to the line 10 times uh and had 12 points overall. You know, between the three of those guys and and Kashmir right, that's where most of the scoring is going to come. Um but I think the the main takeaway from this game is that they got some sort of uh, contribution from their bench, most notably uh, from Gilan Goon, and I'm probably saying that terribly yeah. wrong. But he had 10 points last night, and, and they got another five points from the rest of their guys off the bench. And in their loss to Presbyterian, they get, didn't get a single point from anyone except for their five starters. Yeah, and these guys, it's tough to get excited about them when they're not playing anyone. So I brought up their schedule. And I remember last year, these guys started out really good. I wouldn't say they started out hot because you're not really hot when you're playing below average ball clubs. So looking at their schedule, Scott, they go and play Marshall on Friday. They play Miami of Ohio after that. Then they play at Georgia, and that's part of the Big East SEC challenge, that rotation. Then they then they play at Xavier. They always play. That's their um, inner city uh rival they they and Xavier's a quality opponent so that's good that they're playing them this year but then they go and play Wright State Radford Arkansas Pine Bluff Chicago State uh and they they finish out with Oklahoma so I really want to see them against Georgia 
Xavier and Oklahoma because uh, it's it's tough to gauge uh, it's tough to gauge who this team is when when they're playing teams like this. Yeah, and another team that you mentioned is Marshall, who I think has played a lot of quality opponents so far this year. Um, so they're I don't think that they're going to come into Cincinnati and feel intimidated. Um, that could be a trap game, also. The thundering herd. Yep, Randy Moss is uh, alma mater. That's right, and Jay Williams. Uh, so that wraps up the the list of games from from Monday night. And Scott, let's start with uh, let's start with the bum of the night. Normally, we're we're a positive, upbeat, uh, up, <laughs> uplifting program, but uh, it was just so bad uh, for one of one of the Big East teams that let's let's get that out of the way. Well, I, I would like to go ahead and say the entire Notre Dame Fighting Irish team, but I think I'll, I'll have to be a little bit more specific on that. Yeah. I'm going to say Eric Atkins just because he was – before Abramitis came back, I, I saw that development continuing, and it, last night he just sort of just didn't show up. He only had six or seven points, and he just wasn't the same guy that he had been before he got sick and maybe you know there's a little bit of remnants there but they're gonna need him to score and score often because between Martin and Abermitis they need to have some sort of athletic uh, guy in the backcourt to really either get him the ball or you know get an easy shot so Notre Dame can pour a couple more points in because they uh they're going to be offensively challenged all season yeah really really bad game by by Atkins I think he's getting over the flu bug with still you would have thought thought it was behind him he'd have a good game well getting back into uh, more of the tone and the uh the feel of our show the positive um the our best player of the night uh even though they went down was Georgetown's Otto Porter. Otto Porter is a freshman on this ball club. He he was solid last night. We Scott and I were both very impressed with his play. He saw 26 minutes of action and he he had 12 points. He was 5 and 9 from the field. Grabbed grabbed five rebounds, um was active on the defensive end, caused a steal and a block and Especially in the zone, uh, when when Georgetown went to the the two three, because I think JT three um, was worried about the athleticism from some of the, those guys. I really liked Otto Porter's length in the uh, in the two three zone, and he's he's that kind of wingman uh, or or swingman. I'm sorry, uh, swingman that really bodes well in the Big East, where he can. He can knock down a tray. I think he hit two last night, but he's not scared to uh, go down low and, and, and find uh, find his 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 spot or position in, in the interior. So that yeah, he he was one of the main reasons why they stuck around. Yeah. And I think he he deserves this uh, more than anyone else who played last night. Yeah, and for all we know, he might be uh, as the season goes along, he might be someone that uh, takes over the starting role for for Nate Lubbock or. Uh, Actually, yeah, that that would be the one that he would fill in for. So it'll be interesting to watch that that transpire throughout the year. Certainly. So I think, uh, as you mentioned in the open, we're going to try to do our first uh, power rankings this season for all Big East teams. Uh, most of them are about three or four games into their season, so we know a little bit more than we did uh, before the year began. And it's... You know, change our outlook. I think a little bit, right? Yeah, we've uh, 
you know what the what the team was predicting in the year it's it's changed there's there's not too much moving but uh yeah there's there's some change so let's getting right into it i think we let's get into a deep dive this is a deep dive i mean i said it was very calculated very scientific um tested every you know the uh stress test has been done every which way by um you know all the uh, all the bankers and everyone. So number one, we both agree that Syrac- the Syracuse Orange are are the number one team right now in the Big East. Yeah, it's their depth is just incredible, and it's it's and at number two we have Connecticut. Um, you know Lamb and I think Napier is the Player of the Year right now through four games. So it's hard to yeah, uh, Player of the Year. We don't, we don't. I think it's too early. UConn hasn't really played anyone good just yet so so uh that might be another uh player of the year rankings we'll we'll have to do that as well number three are golden eagles the the marquette after and really that old miss game when uh when they just took him to town was uh that you know that moved him up uh marquette was not the number three uh ranked team in, in our minds to start the year and they've they've elevated themselves yeah they've been impressive this season um number four is louisville i think uh the loss of mike mara hurts them but they have a crazy amount of depth too and patino's a great coach so they'll be there in the end yeah and great win at butler which which helped them in the rankings uh number five is is pitt they've they've dropped uh, a few spots after their loss to you know, mainly it's it's the Long Beach State, so we'll see how they recover. A good Long Beach State team, though. Yeah, um, for sure. And number six, this was a team that me and you were both impressed with last night uh, when they kept kept it close with Kansas. Uh, we got Georgetown. Yeah, and and we're, I guess we're giving them credit for a good loss. So as the season goes along, they're going to have to win ball games to uh, to remain in in the six slot. Number seven is is Seton Hall. And this is based on the Charleston Classic. They had a really nice showing for them. Lost a tough one to Northwestern, but we're seeing good things. Uh, they are they are moving up in our rankings at number seven. And at number eight, we got the guys in my backyard, Villanova. Um, you know, they've been sort of up and down all year. They barely escaped with a win against LaSalle, and they've been shooting very poorly so far. Um but I think that they can stay there or maybe move up a couple of spots if, if they play better going forward. Yeah, and at number nine, we have we have the Cincinnati Bearcats. We we just spoke of them. Uh, they could move way up as 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 it goes along because they had the talent and all the, the you know coaches and the media had them up in the top five. Or if if they keep losing these, you know. Uh, bad games i mean they they could stay right around where they are at number nine yeah and their depth and bench is going to be an issue going forward um at number 10 we got the johnnies everyone's favorite big east new york city school um you know they're they're just a very inexperienced team but they're talented and and they could go up pretty high if they put it all together with steve lavin yeah they're a young team they could they could they could uh Turn some heads this year. Number eleven is the West Virginia Mountaineers. They've moved down a few slots because of uh, not a horrible uh, home loss to Kent State, but uh, they they should be winning these ball clubs. So we have them at number eleven. And at number twelve, we got the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, <laughs> basically because they got blown out by a quality opponent last night, and like we said, it wasn't even close. 
they should have lost to a Detroit team who was more athletic than they were, but um, Notre Dame's been been hard to watch in the early going. Yeah, it's been it's been tough. Uh, number thirteen is is Pro- the Providence Friars. They're undefeated. Uh, they haven't played anyone, so that's why we're keeping them where where they were to start the year. We don't we don't know enough about this ball club. And what we do know of them is based off last year when they were horrible. Yep. So uh, we hope they can prove us wrong. Absolutely. And uh, at number 14, we have Rutgers, um, who has sort of struggled in the early going, um, especially with shooting and turnovers. So if they become more efficient in, in those two aspects offensively, they'll be able to move up a little bit. But as of right now, I don't see how we could put them any higher than number 14. Yep, and rounding out the last two, we have DePaul at uh, at number 15. Same theme. They haven't played anyone. We don't know enough about them. Yeah, and USF is at 16 because they just really disappointed me this weekend. Yeah, with some bad losses. They have actually played someone, and, and when they did play him, they didn't look good. Hopefully uh, Augustus Gilchrist comes back and, and competes, and hopefully they can get a couple wins here. Yeah, so Scott, that rounds out uh, first ever uh, release of the power rankings. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, there's going to be a lot of changes up and down, and it, uh, I'm excited to see how uh, see how the teams uh, uh, fare throughout the year. Yeah, and we're we're working on uh, putting this up on our website so you can yeah. track it through sixovertimes.us uh, as we go and. You know, I think it will be an interesting exercise as, as the season progresses and we continue to learn more about these teams. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun fun little exercise. It's going to be a highly stimula- stimulating mental exercise, and I'm excited. Um, subjectivity is a beautiful thing. Um, it's, it's purely based off opinion. We probably don't know what we're talking about, so that's when we want you to uh, email us, tweet us, and, and hit us up as, as to where we're, where we're off in that. Uh, Scott, so we have uh, a lot of games tonight, actually, this this Tuesday, November 22nd. We got the Hoyas bouncing back right away at, this is a tough, tough go for them. They play at 4.30 uh, against Chaminade uh, in the uh, second game of the Maui Invitational. Yeah. Then there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. There's eight other games on the on the Big East uh, schedule. There's a couple good ones in there. What are the, what are the ones that uh, jump out at you, Scott? Well, like we were talking, like I said about uh, the Villanova team in the power rankings, they played a tough LaSalle team, and they they got Pittsburgh this afternoon or this evening at seven o'clock on ESPN three. LaSalle, yeah, LaSalle has Pitt. Yep, yep at the Pete. And uh, I like the Rutgers Illinois State. Uh, game a little bit too because Illinois State is a pretty good program. They're they're scrappy. They usually have quick guards, so it'll be interesting to see how Rutgers can uh, compete with that. Yeah, and then uh, ND goes up against Georgia in the CB Classic. Both teams lost yesterday, and we'll see if if they can uh, show some so, some respectability in this in this other game tonight at at seven forty five. Yeah, they need to win. So the bet that I'm going to take tonight, uh, I'm going with Seton, or I'm sorry, not Seton Hall. Um, I'm going to take Louisville giving 23 and a half to Arkansas State. There it is. You heard it here first. Okay. That's going to be a blowout, huh? They need to, uh, they need to win big. 
Yep, I think they will too. Um, well, thanks a lot, everyone, for uh, stopping by the Six Overtimes podcast. Once again, you can uh, tweet us at Six Overtimes or email us at sixovertimes at gmail.com. We'll start reading uh, questions on, on the podcast as they come in. Our podcast is available on iTunes and at sixovertimes.us. Uh, as always, thanks again for listening, and uh, see you tomorrow. Peace.